Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi, Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing, from Kabbalah and the healing of your soul to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past, from ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you on your journey to heal yourself, discover your soul purpose, and live a soul-centered life. And now, on to the podcast. Welcome, everybody, to our shared podcast with Rabbi B and Dr. Dan. Dr. Dan, great to be back with you. Good to see you again, my friend. Looking forward to our conversation. As am I. I think this is our third flight together. We both have our respective podcasts. Um, Dr. Daniel Franz has the uh, Meaning Project, and I, Rabbi Baruch Levy, Rabbi B, have the Defiant Spirit and the Soul-Centered Podcasts. And as those of you who have been with us on the past couple podcasts together know, we thought we would join forces in an ongoing way to bring both of our respective podcast communities together, our ideas together, to explore this shared space of all things Dr. Victor Frankel and logotherapy and the meaning of life and all that good stuff. So here we go. Uh, yeah, we thought we'd talk today about um, what we picked up or we left off last time. We'll pick up this time, which is the meaning of meaning. That was last podcast conversation. And as um, we brought to you the origin story of meaning or logos, as Dr. Frankel would call it, um, coming from the book of um, John from the Christian tradition and the book of Genesis from the shared Jewish Christian tradition of these origin stories of meaning being essentially, you could almost define meaning as light, um, the way Dr. Frankel kind of pulled it out of the, certainly the John text, out of the darkness comes the light. And so meaning sort of becoming synonymous with light and we thought we would explore this idea of out of that darkness, because as we're at least recording this, we're heading into the darkest days of the year in December. And I think not coincidentally, the Christian holiday of Christmas, the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, centered around the winter solstice, the darkest time of the year. Yeah, um, it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up for us to talk about. This is... I'm always reminded around the American holiday of Thanksgiving uh, that this is the time of year for me as a psychotherapist and logotherapist that we start talking a lot about those dark times. I encourage people not to make too many changes in their in their habits, uh, but especially uh, anybody uh, dealing with depression, anxiety or any kind of medicated issue. Um, I encourage them not to, to change their medication. This is not a good time of year to uh, change those things because uh, the human body, the human physiology this time of year, as, as our days get darker and shorter and colder, uh, we have a tendency to want to hibernate anyway, right? To, to almost sink into that darkness in some ways. So just our physiology alone can feel that way. And so then we have the holidays that are meant to lift our spirits and to celebrate spirituality and, and family and, and connection. 
but it's quite the the dichotomy of this difficult, naturally difficult time of year with um, the encouragement, the desire to celebrate. Totally. I think one of the prices we're paying in our modern era is we've gotten so distant from nature, right? We think in some ways we've overcome nature and yet, you know, our wiring is our wiring DNAs, you know, and, and biology's thousands and thousands of years old. So even if our technologies change and our society changes, it doesn't mean we've fundamentally changed. And I think when we listen to nature, we can really learn a lot about meaning, about our life, about who we are. And, and, you know, like this time, it doesn't have to be a negative, right? Going into the winter, going into the darker days. Um, and just because we have fluorescent light doesn't mean the darkness goes away. Can, can we listen to that darkness and really see it as something more positive than negative? I think that's an interesting point, you know, going with nature. I mean, not just going out and, and for a walk amongst the trees, but listening to the, uh, just the, the, the cycle of, of, of the year, of the seasons, um, it definitely affects us. And so we, as we go into this darker time, it can be a time to, uh, to step back, to, to, to allow ourselves to hibernate, to rest, relax, and, and again, sink into it in a way that we look forward to the light, but then also to embrace that darkness as uh, Dr. Frankel instructs us and, and, you know, find opportunity within it. Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, you look at like a bear, for instance, that, you know, goes into hibernation at this time. And I, I can imagine, I don't know the life of bears. Um, we'll get an expert on the show sometime, <laughs> but I imagine if you fight that instinct, right? It could be a pretty miserable time if you're a bear, right? All the other bears are kind of hibernating and you're fighting it. You're going out and as opposed to just sort of embracing that natural rhythm in nature, in, in the animal kingdom, you know, can we do that in our lives? And I know for me, I like this time. I think it's almost my, my favorite time of the year because it's like permission to go indoors, interior. You know, I think we got a taste of that for better and worse. Um, over the past couple of years, it's mm -hmm. felt like sort of one big hibernation, one big kind of dark period. And too much of anything is, you know, detrimental, but finding a nice balance with it and kind of accepting it, going with that flow. I don't know. I think it can be very meaningful. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think that's such a good point. I mean, during the various quarantines and, and stay at home orders, um, many of us found ways to enjoy it. Uh, I think the difference is, you know, for like you said, too much of anything can be a bad thing, but, you know, in brief doses, it wasn't too bad. But I think also is the idea of choice. You know, we, we didn't choose often when we had to stay at home and when we had to quarantine and, and you know, that was difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. And we, we don't choose the changing of the seasons. We can't choose uh, how nature is going to operate, um, but we can make the choice uh, how, you know, what our attitude is going to be towards it, much like you just demonstrated. Your attitude is one of gratitude and looking forward to it and embracing it and enjoying it. And I have a feeling you probably will. And conversely, we can look at it and uh, curse it and, and be grumpy about the cold weather and the snow and the shoveling. And um, well, you know, that attitude is certainly going to impact uh, our experience. Did you ever see the movie? It's a long time ago. It was called Insomnia. It was with uh, Robert De Niro. He was a detective, I'll refresh your memory. He goes, I, I, I literally haven't seen it in 20 years, but he goes to um, Alaska to, to solve a crime. It takes him up there and he can't sleep 
obviously the name of the movie Insomnia. And partially it's because he's up there in the um, summertime and there's no darkness or there's very little darkness up there. And it's just a psychological um, undertone, you know, along the, the, the narrative of the movie, but all about the consequences of too much light. Right. Mm, and the dark, I have not seen it. That sounds yeah. fascinating. And, and, and the imperative of darkness. Like, and, you know, we live sometimes like we romanticize the light. We just want it to be light. We want summer. Everybody loves summer. Nobody likes winter. But if you don't have the right mixture of darkness and light, the light and too much light can be just as detrimental as too much darkness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That goes back to our conversations about balance and order and chaos and, and yin and yang you know it's it's part of life as as the good doctor tells us uh you know that tragic triad of pain death and suffering we all have to face an encounter but we get to choose our attitudes towards it life can't always be great because we wouldn't know how good it is if we didn't have some darkness once in a while yeah so you know maybe you see this in um working with clients but um, there comes a point when, well, no, it's um, Dr. Edith Eager, mm-hmm. who is um, one of Dr. Frankel's students and a Holocaust survivor in her own right. Have you read her books, by the way? The Choice. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I was just going through a book of quotes that I've collected. And she, as I was flipping through there, she was writing there. I can't remember what the quote was, but I just saw her name before we started talking. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've never met her in person, but I've read both The Choice and The Gift. And I've listened to TED talk and the different places. Anyways, um, she's just so remarkable, just like Dr. Frankel. And my point of quoting her was because um, she says there's this shift in the journey of being a victim to a survivor. Mm. And she says that a victim says, why me? And a survivor says, now what? Mm-hmm. And I can feel that too, in the journey of somebody who's going through darkness, where if you're willing to step into the darkness, there comes a shift where you just stop saying, why me? It's not a bad thing to say. It's just unanswerable. Why me? Why this darkness? Why do, you know, why does it have to get dark? I can't answer that. But what she says is your power starts to return to you when you start saying now what? Because that's something I can effectuate that I can, I can answer that now what? And I see that in people on their journey of the darkness, if they can get to that place of, stop the why the darkness and just sort of accept the darkness. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that question of why me being an unanswerable question, right. Can only breed frustration, resentment, anger. Um, when, when we, when we question things that we have no power or control over, um, it just, it spins us around and puts us back into the negative. But when we change that to, uh, questioning ourselves, what am I going to do with it? How do I grow from this? How do I change? How do I evolve? How do I allow this to impact me in a in a positive, achievement oriented way? We we take control. We take control over a situation that we may not have had any power or control in. Yeah, I saw this um, in a client a long time ago. Actually, they're congregate, um, not a client, and they just keep coming to me after a loss, and they had every right. You know, Doctor Eager would say, and. I, I know you and I would agree. It's not about right or wrong, right? Because you can sit in the darkness and say, why me? And who's to judge you? That's your experience. The question is, does it work? Right. And they just kept saying, why me? In a thousand different ways. But essentially, that's what every counseling conversation was, was them asking why me? 
And no matter what I did to steer the conversation to now what, they weren't ready. They didn't want it. And it felt like we were in this kind of perennial loop and their energy was just not well spent because it didn't serve them because they weren't moving through the darkness. They were stuck in the darkness. Have you ever had this kind of experience? Well, absolutely. And I was going to ask you, uh, from your perspective, what did you do to help them get unstuck? I wish I could say I worked my magic and I didn't. I remember no. just saying to them, I love you. I will hold this space for you. And you can ask why me all day, every day, but I can't help you move forward until you're ready to stop asking an unanswerable question and start, you know, I didn't say it literally, but start to shift from why me to now what mm -hmm. I can help you with the now what I'm the now what guy, you're the now what guy, right? Dr. Mm -hmm. Frankel can give you tools. Now what right. empirically measurable, validated tools to answer that question. But why me? Why do bad things happen to good people? Greater minds than mine have been asking and unable to answer. Right. I, I think that's as as a therapist, as a logotherapist, that's all we can do. And I love that statement. We use that around our offices a lot. Uh, I will hold this space for you. I will be here for you and I'll listen. But I cannot change your thinking until you're ready to. I can give you the tools. I can teach you how to do it. I can show you different directions to take it, but I can't do it. I can sit here and listen. And sometimes that's enough. I, I instruct a lot of young and new therapists in this, like sometimes just being present. We feel we're a very action-oriented society. I'm a very action-oriented person. I want to see the treatment plan and let's move people through it. And that life isn't always that way. Sometimes mm -hmm. it just takes holding that space and listening and allowing somebody to emote, to ask why me over and over before one day they just ask it differently or, or they're more receptive to what we have to say and the light goes off. It's so, it's so, that's a, such a great point. It's so good. I just, I hear that because what you're saying is it's, it's a deep teaching on not doing is doing because if you're holding space and they're working through it, um, there is value in that, right? I think of the word patience coming from um, Latin pati. I know it comes from suffering. So what is patience? And in Hebrew, sabzanut, which means to suffer, but it's, it's patience. It means to hold suffering, right? And so just holding suffering in your own life, can you just, even if you're in a holding pattern and it feels like if you can just stay with it, maybe that becomes the doing, that becomes the purpose. I think Dr. Frankel actually said, right, just to bear the burden is something. Mm -hmm. That's a something. That's not a nothing. I believe one of his greatest and most repeated stories is the story of the physician who came to him saying, doctor, why, why my wife, why did my wife die and not me? Why, why, why? And, and, and Dr. Frankel very patiently says, well, uh, how would she feel if you would have been the first one? She would be here suffering instead. And the physician said, you're right. And, and that was enough to realize that his action of suffering over that loss was doing a great service and just mourning the loss of his wife was enough that, you know, recognizing she didn't have to suffer because he was taking the suffering on was very powerful for him. And I really didn't do a great job telling that story, but it's, it's written many times in man's search for meaning and doctor in the soul. And I think it's in many of his books. No, I think you, you captured it. It's um, you know, his being in the darkness coming back mm -hmm. to our metaphor 
again, was not nothing, was something. Somebody was going to have to absorb or live in darkness, either him or his wife. That's just Mm -hmm. the math of it. One person, unless you die at the exact same time, which doesn't usually happen. Um, So somebody's going to have to precede the other in death, right? And by his allowing, if you will, his wife to not have to do that, that means he has to do that. And and all of a sudden, yeah, when, when that happened, that became a purpose, to sit in the darkness, to hold the darkness was purposeful. Mm-hmm. And there was a shift. And yeah, now that you say that, I remember that story really well. Um, and that's something. That's yeah. a profound something. Yeah. And sometimes, back to your point, sometimes the most we can do is to sit in it, to, you know, we talk about that liminal space. Dr. Frankel talks about the neurodynamics of where we are versus where we want to be. And sometimes we, we can't always know what the path is, but we can know that that suffering shapes us. It changes us. And if we allow it to, it'll help us grow. On the other hand, sometimes, sometimes it just hurts. And sometimes we allow it to bring us down. And, and that's uh, an opportunity um, to enlist the help of others, to see a good logo therapist like one of us, uh, or, or just simply to, to take time to dive within to do the work of, of growing and orienting oneself in a different direction. We live in a society though, that doesn't um, certainly does not promote that. I know you see this. I see this. I, I kind of specialize in grief. I see it particularly around grief, although it's true with all kinds of darkness. And that is like, okay, it's been a week, a month, a year, <laughs> um, you know, like let's get going now. Let's it's time that's, clock has been ticking and i hear it all the time when people are grieving and and loved ones friends seemingly well-intentioned people will say you should be you should be moving forward you should you know and what i say to people is like this is not my quote but i love it i said you know never should on people when they're in grief should 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 there are no shoulds like this thing is uncharted darkness by definition there are very there are very few shoulds, and we have to back off of that time frame and that urgency and that inability to just sit in darkness. What's your experience around that? Well, first of all, B, I tell you what, I thought I, I had the corner, the market cornered on that statement. Um, I like to encourage my clients to stop shooting all over themselves. Um, <laughs> I, and I can't remember who that comes from. That may be Ellis or, or rational emotive behavior therapy, right? That list of irrational, um, unconstructive thoughts. And and that's one, you know, whenever we use should, you know, I should, they should, 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 you know, we put expectations on ourselves and others that may or may not be necessary or achievable. Um, so if you're out there shooting on yourself right now, feel free, B and I say, you can go ahead and stop. But when it comes to grief, yeah, that's, that is my experience. So often it's the individual grieving that comes to me who's doing a wonderful job of the work of grieving. But their question often is, well, everybody around me is telling me I should be done with this. And and my work is often to say, no, everybody grieves in their own time. As long as you're doing it in a, in a healthy way, which, you know, that, that can be questionable. What is healthy grieving? Well, it's, it's allowing yourself to feel and to go through the process and not rushing it. It's those that rush it that often are left, um, I, I don't know, just uh, hurt or, or unhealthy really uh, later on. Yeah. And I guess coming back to how we, 
began trusting that there's a natural order, that there's a, Mm -hmm. you know, that winter gives way to spring, night Mm -hmm. gives way to mourning, grief gives way to healing. Mm -hmm. And that's where I come back to this, you know, patience, right? And, And that's, that's to me, faith is you don't know. I mean, that by definition, you don't, when you're in the darkness, you don't know if it'll end. You just have to have faith that others have been through it, that you've been through versions of this, that light will come again. And, and I think that that's the scariest thing about the darkness, whether we're talking about the literal darkness or this figurative darkness that happens to us when we go through the loss of a loved one, as an example, to have the faith that I mean, Dr. Frankel said, I wrote this down, um, quoting the Psalms. It's, it's in, um, he writes it in uh, man's search for meaning, but I'm trying to see what Psalm it is, but light um, shines in the darkness. Mm-hmm. I forget what Psalm it is, but it does come from the Psalms, but light shines in the darkness. And that is the ultimate act of faith, that there is meaning in what seems like meaninglessness, that there is light within the darkness. Can I wait? Mm-hmm. That's one of the hardest things to do, wait. Yeah. And I think that's part of the human condition is recognizing, you know, when we're in it, no, we don't feel like it's ever going to end. It can be overwhelming and, and burdensome. Um, and that's where the, having the opportunity to enlist the help of others, friends, family, loved ones, pastors, ministers, rabbis, therapists, those are support network. When we can enlist the help of the, those others to have them say to us, it'll get better sooner or later, it'll get better. It has to. Um, but that is, as Dr. Frankel tells us, that's the human condition, pain, death, and suffering. None of us are going to escape it. So we have to learn how to deal with it. And, and I think that's one of the things that both of us probably confront with people we work with is most of us are not good with grief or death, right? We have a lot of very, um, very unfortunate cliches they're in a better place. You'll be okay. You can get past this, you know, very just to, it's not often to, to make the other person feel better, but it's to, to make the, the person outside the grief feel better that as though they're doing something and we don't always have to do things right. Sometimes it's just the act of being present, um, that allows the person grieving to, to feel connected, to feel better, that it isn't always up to us to say something, but maybe just to be present. That's powerful, and you've really captured the um, the ancient mystics around, and you know the Kabbalists from from Jewish mysticism. Um, have you ever been to a shiva home after somebody dies? Um, a family sits shiva. You or your, your listeners might have heard of this, where shiva means seven. So for seven days after the death of a loved one, you're supposed to just stop what you're doing and just mourn, grieve. And there's a rule, though, there's a rule when you visit somebody who's sitting Shiva or, you know, you go to a wake or whatever, that you're not allowed to speak. If you're visiting a mourner, you're not allowed to, allowed to speak until spoken to. Mm. So if, God forbid, you know, you lose a loved one and I come visit you, I, my, from a spiritual and a Jewish legal perspective, I, I must come, I must visit you, and I must be silent. Now, if you want to talk about the uh you know college football last week 
then my role is to support you and hold that space. And we talk about college football. And if you want to sit in silence, my role is to hold that space and sit in silence. But it's about honoring where you are, mm-hmm. right? And not kind of me forcing you out of darkness and into light because I'm not comfortable with the darkness. That's beautiful. I did not realize that was part of, of, of that code of, the, of that faith, but that's so, so sound, so beautiful, right? That too often we feel a need that, you know, like you said, we're uncomfortable with the darkness, with the grief. So we feel we have to say things that really just come off cliche and sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, just being present can be so much more comforting than offering the same old tired, you know, morning cliches. But, but there is like, I wish that were true that people did that. That's just the theory. And then <laughs> reality is I go to these Shiva homes when I, when I was a uh, congregational rabbi and it was like a cocktail party. Um, oh my. Well, you know, like there's a lot of buzz, but the same is true of funerals. Notice this, God forbid, you know, there, there will be funerals. You'll go to it. Mm-hmm. You go to a funeral, you walk in before the priest, the minister, the rabbis starting the service, people are gathering. There's a lot of noise, a lot of chatter. And I realize it's because we're so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I, my, I, I wrote about this in Spark Seekers. One of the first things I would do uh, officiating at a funeral is I'd walk in ahead of the family and I would say, you all have a job and your job is to hold space in silence. And all of a sudden, boom, right? The, the buzz is gone. The noise is gone because people have been tasked with a purpose. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know. And, and this is the Frankel piece. I think when you task somebody with a purpose, your purpose is to hold the silence, the darkness, so this family can come into the darkness and be where they need to be. People respond. They rise to the occasion, but they need the purpose. Don't you think this is something Dr. Frankel would say? Hallelujah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, when you, when you, you have a task to do and when somebody comes in, like you said, we're uncomfortable in that moment. We don't know what to do. So we talk. And when somebody comes in of authority and says, hey, here is your task to carry out, please do it. Yeah. Um, good people will definitely respond. Um, I, I want to, I, I definitely, we're, we're talking a lot about family and grief and death, but I want to take this into the holidays as well, because this is something that commonly um, I'm confronted with. And I, and I feel like you might be able to have some uh, insight as well during this time this time of holiday and and celebration, even though we may not always feel it. um, Sometimes the reason we don't feel it is because we have to, we're we're around family that reminds us of of past loss or grief. I know I lost my mom three years ago, spending time with my dad certainly reminds me of that. It's a beautiful time. I love it. Um, But there are those reminders. And, And I think also we're confronted sometimes with, you know, the, the holidays are often a time where we get together with people we only see during the holidays. And it's a reminder of some of the difficulties and maybe even uh, family dysfunction that we've enjoyed in the past. And, and so sometimes it's helpful to remind people, this is the right thing to do. It's, it's that time of year where you're supposed to feel as though you're family, but sometimes it doesn't always feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm just curious from your perspective, how do you guide or encourage people to, to deal with those family issues, whether it's grief or just dysfunction? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And thanks for bringing us back to the holiday season. And because it really encapsulates everything we're talking about. I don't think it's coincidental, again, that Christmas and um, Hanukkah revolve around the winter solstice, mm-hmm. at least in our hemisphere, the shortest days of the year, the longest nights of the year. And especially, you know, us in the Midwest and uh, in Colorado, where you really feel it. You know, when I was living in Los Angeles, it was a little harder to get to that place that you just naturally come to when you're, you know, in the snow. But um, I think it's it's for a reason. It's positioned at this darkest time because we've been, we've intuited as a as a culture, as a species, that in the darkness is when we have to kind of bring to it an effort a light. So we light the lights like intentionally as a Christian. Do do you put up uh, holiday lights? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I believe I'm being tasked with doing that after we get done talking. (laughs) So you go out and you put up the Christmas lights. Uh, As a Jew, I put up the uh, menorah. Mm -hmm. And most people don't realize though the menorah, the the candelabra that uh, Jews light, it's supposed to go into the window. Like that's Mm -hmm. where it's supposed, it's not supposed to be on the kitchen counter supposed to be in the window. Why is it supposed to be in the window? For the same reason why you hang lights on the outside, to illuminate the darkness for mm-hmm. others. And so I just think if we can bring that intention to your holiday experience, knowing that your family might be dysfunctional, right? Which might is, get rid of might, all families are dysfunctional. In their own um, unique and special way. Absolutely. And so knowing that there's darkness, right? That's just part of the deal. Knowing that there's somebody who isn't around the Christmas table, around the Hanukkah table, by definition, right? People come and go. And so can you bring to it an intention, like accept the darkness, which is, I think, what we're talking about, understand that it's part of nature, it's part of the way of things, but can we bring to it some intention of light? I think that's beautiful. If, if we could all adapt that attitude, and I feel as though in these next few weeks before now and, and the holidays, um, I'm going to be using that a lot, you know, when, you know, when people come to those questions of, okay, I haven't been able to get along with my siblings or this uncle or this person in, in such a long time. Uh, should I invite them to Christmas? Should I invite them uh, to our, our, our celebration? The answer for me is almost always yes, yes, because it's an opportunity to bring light. It's an opportunity to try to reestablish connection, but sometimes most importantly, it's an opportunity not to regret later. And don't you think that that's sort of at the the heart of logotherapy and and Dr. Frankel's philosophy that, you know, like the giving, the gift giving, right, is a meaningful activity and the gift receiving is a meaningful activity. And those can be expanded to two primary ways that we find meaning in the world through creation, acts of creation and through experience. But then there's this third way. And to me, that's what we're talking about, which is in the darkness, in the annoying Uncle Eddie, in the estranged relationship with my brother, in the struggle, right? Whatever you fill in that darkness struggle, there's also the light, the meaning, the opportunity. And in some ways, that's guaranteed, the gifts, the receiving the gifts, that's that maybe, like maybe you'll get gifts, maybe you'll give gifts, you'll definitely get darkness. Can you start reframing it as also an opportunity? Mm-hmm. To me, that changes the conversation. 
Absolutely. And, and I mean, that's such just a beautiful picture, right? Darkness as opportunity, suffering as opportunity is, is logotherapy and Dr. Frankel tells us taking suffering and turning it into achievement, looking at those frustrating people that you only see a couple times a year and trying to reestablish connection, trying to at least engage in a, in a somewhat healthy way. Um, even if it doesn't work out any better than the year before, you go about it in a way that helps you feel a little bit better. And, and I do want to comment, oh man, you really, you really touched on one of my favorite topics this time of year is that idea of gift giving. Um, and maybe I'm just a grumpy old man these days, but I, I feel as though sometimes we've, in some situations, we've become such an over-consuming culture, such a, you know, it's just going to hop on Amazon and order it up or go to the local box chain and, and grab something off the shelf. And, and you use the word, you know, of course, we use the word meaningful. It's such an opportunity to do something meaningful for somebody, to, to create something, to really try to understand that person um, and, and to connect with them through a gift rather than just quickly and haphazardly grabbing something. And not to be too cliche, but that's the word really what we're talking about is presence, not president mm -hmm. with a T, but presence. Ooh, that was good. I like how you did that. It's not, definitely not mine, but I, I will throw it in here for us because, but that's what we're talking about because you said before to hold space, you know, in somebody's darkness and the, really the only gift that we can give them. And this is the mystics of the showing up in Shiva is presence, right? I'm here. That's it. Like, how much would you give? Like, how much would you give for your mom just to be present this Christmas? It's in, you know, it's invaluable. Like, you can't even put a number to it. Not what she could give you, just to be present. Mm -hmm. Like, my dad. That's an important reminder, right? Like, all those people that we have that are with us and around us, as, as wonderful or maybe not so wonderful as they are, someday will not be present. And to embrace what you have now, even in the difficult times, is is certainly a, a oh, it's certainly a gift to them and to you. <laughs> We're rolling now, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is all of a sudden turned into a comedy podcast <laughs> or a dad joke podcast. Dad jokes, middle age grooming habits. We got a we got a growing list of uh, <laughs> topics, hot topics. Um, yeah. but I, but I would say that. One other thing that Dr. Franco really shifted my understanding is memories. Mm -hmm. Memories are also a present, a presence, right? If you have a memory, it's, it's real, right? It's stored, it happened. And can you pull out some of those, you know, around your mom? Of course you can, and you will, and then you share them. And that's also presence. Absolutely. And what a gift to your kids and your family and the world when you continue to share her presence. Yeah, I, I think that is one of the greatest parts about gathering together as friends and family during this time of year that sometimes, yes, it may feel forced, we may feel obligated, but if we turn that into opportunity and if we really look to share those stories and to remember those people that aren't there, um, yeah, it is a gift. And and it's it's meaningful, it's healthy. There's so many positive things and it can be a light in the darkness. Might be a good place to uh, start to wrap, huh? I, yeah, man, 
I don't know. I, I wish we could ask our listeners because I know you and I could chat for quite a long time on this, but um, the people's drives to work are probably about up and it might be a good time for us to pause until maybe next year when we uh, come up with some new topics. Yeah, I was taught as a rabbi, just the number one rule to keep in mind is it's always better to stop talking before your audience leaves. So, you know, you know, it's funny to hear you say that because I know I know some of my family will be listening to this during the holiday season. And, and one of one of the greatest joys uh, in those memories is my father in law is an amazing storyteller. Unfortunately, he has never heard what you just said about stopping before everybody leaves. Either he doesn't rabbis. notice when people leave either he will just go. and again that's just a i can feel myself tense up every once in a while i'm like you've really gone on for 25 minutes that's a beautiful story but uh he sounds like most of my colleagues you know clergy are notorious for uh you know like okay let's let's go by the by the pastor a watch will you there you uh, go <laughs> on that note i think it's time for us to wrap before people just start to turn us off Man, it's always an honor and pleasure to uh, be on this ride with you into the darkness and to discover the light. Same here, brother. Happy holidays to you. Can't wait to chat again some more. Merry Christmas and to all of your followers, and uh, we will continue. Absolutely. Take care. Take care. Happy holidays. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts, Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at My Soul Center. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you shalom, salam, namaste, and peace.